This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Your Money on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Your Money, Series XM, Channel 132, Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Ken Smithers, a professor here at Wharton Campus in Philadelphia. I remember we're live every Tuesdays from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern. And the purpose of the show is simply to help you make better decisions with your money. Um, so if you want to know what to do with your money, you know the drill. Now it's the time to give me a call live on Tuesdays. So grab the phone, give me a call here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six, and we'll answer your questions about your own uh, money. So with that, let me introduce my first guest, Kristen McKenna, who is a wealth uh, advisor with uh, Daryl Wealth Management in Boston, Massachusetts. He's a contributor uh, in many occasions to various outlets, including Forbes and uh, U.S. News and World Report, The Street, and many others. Welcome to the show, Kristen. Thanks. Thanks very much for having me. And if you have a question for Kristen and myself right now, uh, there's first segment, especially about the Secure Act. Now is a great time uh, to call. Um, so, uh, Kristen, let's uh, talk about again. This was the sign in the law very uh, recently, uh, passed by very large margins in the House and in the Senate, um, uh, both sides of the aisle. So, let's first talk about how it affects uh, required uh, required minimum distributions. How how those rules change? Yeah, so what the SECURE Act did there, um, and this is for the account owners that we're talking about right yep. now, it, it increased the RMD age from 70 and a half to 72. Um, but this only applies to anyone that has not yet started RMDs. Right. Um, and then folks who haven't turned 70 and a half by the end of 2019. So essentially, if you were born on or after, July 4th, I'm sorry, July 1st of 1949, this does impact you, and your RMD age will now be 72. Yeah, and just to remind people what what the RMD is, is you hit a certain age, if you have something like a traditional 401k or 403b plan, you put the money in pre-tax. The government wants their tax money eventually, Um, but of course, it's a great tax break to do on a very deferred basis, not compounded along the way, and and you you pay taxes on the the back end, and uh, of course, if you kept your money in there for a long, long time and died and bequeathed it there, the government would get their taxes, so they they require you to make certain distributions. Uh, It used to be at age 70 and a half, really weird age. Age 70 and a half, and now goes up to at least a little bit easier of an age to remember 72. So, for taxpayers who can, you know, defer until age 72, I mean, the usual logic is to defer as long as possible when it comes to these uh, tax deferred accounts. Uh, do you think they should? So, that actually gets a little bit interesting. Um, you know, from a practical standpoint, a lot of folks can't afford to defer. Sure. But, what, uh, but, but know, suppose they could. Suppose they, they could. could. Yeah. So, I think that you really need to run the numbers and do some tax planning because if you've already retired, like most folks have before age 70, the idea of being in these lowest tax brackets, you know, maybe even 0% and not taking money out of retirement funds, that can really be a wasted opportunity, especially with, you know, where we're likely headed um, with the next, next election and the pendulum is starting to swing back. 
in all likelihood, tax rates are going to be going up, not down. Now, so, you're not making any predictions here, but yeah, no, nonetheless, no. you just did. But yeah, I mean, I hear what you're saying. Uh, the fiscal course in the United States, very large deficits, you know, it's not sustainable. Taxes are probably going to go up in the future. And you're absolutely right, is that you should take advantage of those. If you have any window, we used to say between, you know, when you retired in age 70 and a half, now 72, that's the time to start thinking about Roth conversions or taking advantage of that low marginal tax rate, but just a simple distribution can also do it um, as well. So uh, again, speaking with uh, Kristen McKenna, uh, Wealth Advisor at Darrow. Am I saying that right? Is it Darrow Wealth Management? Yep, Darrow Wealth, Wealth Management, Boston, Massachusetts. If you've got a question for us, uh, and that's a good time to call one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Now, not too many people are impacted by inherited retirement accounts and the stretch IRA. You know that that became a little bit more restrictive, uh, and it, this is you know pretty high income, higher wealth people impacted uh, or complaining a lot. You know uh, about this. This one, uh, but nonetheless, ex- explain that. Explain what the stretch our IRA is and how do the rules change? Yeah, definitely. So this has been getting a lot of play in the in the media. So it's called a stretch IRA. It's not actually a special type of IRA. Right. But what it means is that for and this really impacts the non-spouse beneficiaries. But when you inherit a retirement account from a parent or a relative, under the old rules you are able to take distributions from that account over the course of your lifetime. And in other words, to stretch out the payments over the course of your life. And of course, the IRS determines what your life is. But nevertheless, you weren't forced to take out the funds, um, you know, immediately or, or anything like that. You could really control the receipt of the income and you had the option to take it sooner if you wanted to. But to help fund some of these other provisions included in the SECURE Act, that's no longer permitted for, again, these non-spouse beneficiaries. Um, Instead, and starting for folks who inherit a retirement account after 2019, so starting in 2020, um, these inheritances must be taken by the end of the 10th year following the year of death. Yeah. Interestingly, there are no required distributions within this 10-year period. Right, right. So, so you, the only so the only thing beneficiaries can control is the amount and the timing of it during uh, the 10-year window. Uh, and there are a couple of exceptions, um, mostly for minors. They they have the until they reach the age of majority, which is typically age 18. Yeah. Um, before this 10-year period begins. Um, and then the other two are just beneficiaries less than 10 years younger than the account owner and disabled beneficiaries, and, and those folks will fall under the old rules. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I think you're going to see some shifting, uh, even generational skipping of some of this uh, inheritance just to ex- uh, take advantage, certainly, of that. But, you know, uh, it's, it, and I also th- imagine you're going to see a lot of distributions happening uh, in, in that 10th year. Uh, so things like the, you know, the 529 plans, um, it wasn't really the focus of, you know, the SECURE Act. It was much more on the retirement side. Any other changes? outside of kind of retirement accounts, 529 plans and things like that? Yeah, there were two, um, I think, really positive changes that impacted 529 plans out of this legislation. So the first is that 
529 plan beneficiaries. So for those that you don't know, 529 plans are commonly called college savings plans. Um, But as a result of the tax legislation that was passed at the end of 2017, that can actually be used for private school. But in any event, um, what this legislation did was now enabled um, beneficiaries to use up to $10,000 from their 529 plan to pay down their student loan debt. Yeah. And that's a lifetime limit. It's not, you know, annually, but right. it is per beneficiary. So that person could also take uh, $10,000 to pay down student loan debt for their siblings as well. Yeah. And then a lot of times, you know, people ask me, you know, the you know, they're afraid of saving over saving in the 529 plan, things like that. And it's usually not a big risk anyway. It's so liberal in terms of the interpretation of what qualifies. And most people are not going to be over saving anyway. But even if there were, I mean, it, to the extent there are some loans still taken out at the time, uh, it, the overage can be used for paying, paying down those loans. And right. so uh, I've been, you know, I did an interview on the SECURE Act a, a week or two ago with NPR, and one of the things I kind of railed on was, you know, my biggest concern about the SECURE Act. I mean, there was definitely things on the employer side of, you know, multi-employers, uh, you know, getting together, uh, forming a 401k, which I don't think the take-up will be that high at all. Uh, I just think it's, you know, there are some small business provisions. My biggest concern is, you know, uh, is the introduction of annuities, and in particular, deferred annuities were already were allowed, but now is the entry of variable annuities, which are often, you know, very hidden costs and high costs and so forth. I mean, to me, that's the biggest uh, fear factor here, uh, the Secure Act. Any thoughts about that? I very much share your concerns. Um, I think that while there can be a place and a role for simple fixed annuities and the retirement scheme, especially for a lot of people that really just, you know, they need to pay their bills and meet their expenses every month. Yeah. Um, The promise of an annuity that's guaranteed income for life and, you know, participating in up markets and not in down. I mean, oh my gosh, it just sounds so wonderful. It's good to be true. And kind of is, right? Because there's, there's a really big cost for it. And I think that it's, it is really scary um, that, you know, the insurance lobby is very big and powerful and they got a big win here. And yep. I'm, I'm just concerned about how obscured the fees can be and the fact that 401k fiduciaries, um, you know, they still need to evaluate some sort of suitability of this for an investment. But I yeah. think as a plan participant, there's a lot of implied um safety in the fund options that are even being presented to them, where I think that they probably won't realize that with this case, the onus is now actually on them to evaluate the health of the insurer and all of these things that they probably didn't even think about, never mind that their plan sponsor doesn't really have to do that anymore. Yeah, and I think we're going to see a huge... Uh, march in, uh, into the 401k plans. And then I, I completely agree with you. The fixed annuities are the, the type of annuities that kind of like myself really like the true insurance products provide longevity uh, uh, protection and they have real value to a lot of the variable annuities. They just, you know, play on behavioral, um, you know, shortcomings. And
and in many ways the messaging is very exploitive of you know playing on uh, people's fears and so forth. But in particular, extremely costly, very opaque, and uh, and then you're going to see a huge march into these uh, into the 401k space. I think of these products. So uh, it's definitely uh, a big concern for me, and I think a lot of people should uh, who are listening should just really pay attention if they're being pitched on the annuities, not deferred fixed annuities that already were allowed on, uh, under the modifications of risk a few years ago, but in fact, uh, the, the variable annuities, be really careful uh, with that. Kristen, fantastic job. Thanks so much for coming onto the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. And you can find out more about Kristen McKenna and their shop there at DarrowWealthManagement.com. Again, Darrow, that's spelled D-A-R-R-O-W, WealthManagement.com. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.